Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. KDOS AM 1060, as always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is Monday. It is August 28th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. A little bit of a change in plans, but we're happy to make it work. Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest set to join us at 1015 today. We'll take your phone calls at 1030 and 1115, 602-260-1060. The Arizona Diamondbacks, Major League Baseball, the Arizona Cardinals roster cutdowns coming up for all 32 teams across the league by Tuesday. So we'll get into all of that here in today's Extra Point. But let's first get things started with the KDOS1060.com poll question, which is regarding the Kansas City Chiefs. Is it over or is it under for the Chiefs this season with 11 and a half wins? And right now the masses are sitting at over 71% of the vote under at 29%. Obviously, uh, they've done a good job in the regular season in the past, maybe kind of forgotten in the, all the uh, you know, championship and postseason success. They put themselves in position by doing really well in the regular season and playing the majority of their postseason games at home because of that. Obviously, they're beginning the season without Chris Jones, at least for now. They're, they still don't have Chris Jones back. He's still holding out. Uh, an offensive uh, coordinator for the last few years, Eric Bieniemy, is off to Washington. Not sure how that's going to change the process of game week and game day, but uh, we'll get into that a little bit with Matt in the next segment. But, of course, Andy Reid, this is his show. Patrick Mahomes is a big part of the show, needless to say. And they're still in Kansas City, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure they're going to be pretty good. Yes, I have a feeling that is the case as well. So we'll get the insights from Matt Derrick around 1015, and we'll answer the question around 1130. Still time for you to cast your vote, KDOS1060.com. Flipping this on over to Twitter, at KDOSAM1060, do you think the D-backs are playoff bound after their 5-1 and homestand versus the Rangers and the Reds? No, continues to lead the way at 60% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 40%. Yeah, the, the bad thing sometimes about poll questions is you can't literally ask a follow-up question. So <laughs> if they're not, they're not in, who is type of thing? Um, you know, I'm watching the Rangers. Uh, I'm watching the Rangers and the Twins series over the weekend. At that time, it was still two first-place teams. Obviously, the Twins are still in first place, and the Rangers are not now in the West. But rarely has there been a series played between two first-place teams that was more horribly played by both of the first-place teams than the Twins and the Rangers over the weekend. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I think ASU – excuse me, not ASU. I think ESPN got my initials mixed up. Bad, bad gaff on my part. Uh, I think ESPN still has the worst plays of the week and whatever. It tours on like a Friday, uh, the bottom 10, I think it's called. Uh, I would imagine that they're still doing that, that there would be a handful of candidates, uh, maybe even a couple of handfuls of candidates, 
uh, for the bottom 10 highlights or lowlights from this past week in sports from the Twins and the Rangers series from this weekend in Minnesota. They were, it was bad baseball. Well, uh, the Diamondbacks, the results were good. A 3-1 series yes. win over the Reds, but each game had some sort of chaos to it. Uh, so you had the 3-2 the to two win on Thursday. Then Friday was a 10-8 to eight win. Brandon Fott got the start. Five and a third innings, three hits, two runs, one walk, five strikeouts, one home run. There was the interference by the fan that took a home run off the board for Tommy Pham. You also had the ninth inning drama with the Reds loading the bases. Will Benson hitting a grand slam Justin Mar- off of Justin Martinez. Then Kevin Ginkle coming in to get the save. Saturday, it was an 8-7 to loss for the Diamondbacks in 11 innings. The Diamondbacks had a 4-1 to lead heading into the 8th. And Zach Davies, he pitched well to get the start. Five innings, five hits, one mm-hmm. run, two walks, five strikeouts, and one home run. And then Paul Seawald struggled in the ninth, surrendered the lead. The D-backs offense couldn't score in the bottom of the ninth. And two extras they went. More chaos ensued. Miguel Castro giving up three runs in the 10th. The Diamondbacks rallied to tie it up to force the 11th. And the game ended on the Bach. Well, there was a chance afterward, but what ended up being the game-winning run was Nabil Krizmat's Bach uh, bringing in the winning run for the Reds, and then I guess a ho-hum Sunday win for the Diamondbacks, 5-2. to two. Well, that game was tied going to the eighth inning, and uh, the Reds, uh, you know, get Lucas Sims, who's actually a pretty good pitcher, but I believe he was pitching for the fourth time in five days. He had nothing. Uh, and we mentioned last week to start the week, uh, when that Reds and uh, Anaheim game got you know, rained out because of the, the situation in California, that the uh, Reds' bullpen likely was going to be spent by the time they got here and had to play four straight games in Arizona. They had to have the doubleheader the Reds did on uh, Wednesday in Anaheim. And clearly uh, that was a big deal as the series continued. Uh, you know, I don't think either bullpen was very good. Quite frankly, I don't think that there's no doubt about that. Neither bullpen was very good for that matter. Uh, so we'll see what's, uh, if the Diamondbacks can figure that out. But uh, we've been talking about that for months now. No matter who the characters are on the bullpen, they don't quite seem to have enough to consistently get it right or have consistent results, at least. I will say, I think that by far, the best thing that uh, the Diamondbacks have, I think not just this last week, but uh, the best thing for the Diamondbacks in the last, you know, I'd say since the All-Star break, is the way that they're starting pitching has been really good here of late. Uh, you know, certainly these four games, Merrill Kelly, of course, was dominant on Thursday night. Hopefully they can figure out this hamstring cramping thing, uh, which I think is going to be something to monitor each start. Brandon Fodd, as you mentioned, uh, got the win on Friday night, finally got his first Major League win in his 13th start of his rookie season, but he was good on Friday night. Uh, Saturday, you mentioned Davies came off the injured list, and certainly he left them in good position with 4-1 lead when he left the game. And then on Sunday, uh, Slade Shikoni allowed just one run in five innings, and we saw some swing and miss, really, for the first time. He had a career-high five strikeouts in his five and two-thirds innings, so that was a good thing there. And they moved Merrill Kelly, excuse me, not Merrill, uh, uh, Zach Gallen back to today. They could have pitched him yesterday. He would have been on his regular rest, but uh, I'm guessing for whatever reason they won him pitching against the Dodgers on the road uh, in Los Angeles tonight to start that series. 
Yeah, uh, he is going up against Bobby Miller. Two quick notes that I have, random notes for the Diamondbacks. Cattell Marte has now hit 100 home runs in a Diamondbacks uniform. Also, Corbin Carroll has 40 steals so far on the season uh, to date right now. Now, you mentioned the Diamondbacks in L.A. facing the Dodgers for a three-game series, and it will be Zach Allen, who is 14-5, and 3.11 ERA, 179 strikeouts. Bobby Miller, 7-3, 3.86 ERA, 75 strikeouts for the Dodgers yeah I think Miller is uh somebody to really pay attention to maybe not you know specifically tonight and I'm sure they'd like to get a good performance from him tonight and from the Dodgers would but he's gotten much better as his season has continued he's had some blow-up starts which you would expect from a rookie but I think he's lived up to the billing of him being their best pitching prospect in an organization that seems to have always offensive or pitching prospects they're never short on prospects they lead the planet and rookies of the year over the years uh, and that's certainly not slowing hasn't slowed down too much in recent years either so good for him and good for them and you know, considering their if they have weakness going into the postseason they're at least a question maybe weakness is too strong a term but a question going into the postseason it is their starting pitching and i assume because of his success for the most part in the majority of his starts in the last few weeks that they feel pretty good about him in the postseason. We'll get into some of the weekend games of past and what's coming up to start some series today a little bit later on. But just a recap of now where things stand in the National League. You have the Braves, of course, at 84 and 45, the Dodgers, 80 and 49, the Brewers at 73 and 57. In the wild cards positions right now, the Phillies, 72 and 58, the Cubs, 69 and 61, the Diamondbacks, 69 and 62. And then on the outside looking in, it is the Giants, one and a half games back. The Reds one and a half games back and the Marlins three games back. Cubs are playing really well. It'll be interesting to see how this goes the next three days. They host the uh, Brewers. The, the Brewers have won eight consecutive games and they've actually started to hit, which is something they haven't done for much of the season. You know, they made some acquisitions uh, the few days before the trade deadline and uh, some of those guys are panning out. They also, Sal Freelich is their top uh, offensive prospect and I've heard about him for a couple of years. They brought him up you know, right about the time of the trading deadline, a little bit before that, but he's been very good too. So their offense, uh, I think that was the biggest question or maybe the only question about the Brewers. I mean, if they make, you know, they, I assume they're going to make the playoffs. They'd have to have a you know, monstrous collapse, collapse at this point. But they got a starting rotation that I don't think you want to be messing with in the, in the postseason if those guys are – all pitching like they have been most of the time here lately. Corbin Burns had a, quote, blow-up last week, but it was also 116 on the heat index that day, and he clearly was bothered by that. So I would just throw that game out for Corbin Burns last week in Milwaukee. Football fans and golfers will come together to raise money in honor of NFL coach Vince Lombardi and support organizations that help prevent cancer, provide the best care to those fighting it, and find a cure. It's all taking place September 16th at Talking Stick Resort. You can join the fun and help uh, the Lombardi Foundation there 
fight for a cure, go to LombardiFoundation.org slash Lombardi-Southwest-Open. That's LombardiFoundation.org slash Lombardi-Southwest-Open for September 16th at Talking Stick Resort. We'll get into the NFL. We'll make room for Matt Derrick to join us on the other side of the break. ChiefsDigest.com to chat all things reigning Super Bowl champs, the Kansas City Chiefs next. It's all happening here in the Extra Point on KDOS. AM 1060. Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to The Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. The Chiefs 11 and a half win total this year. In addition to being the reigning Super Bowl champ, we pop on out to the KDOS hotline. It's Matt Derrick, Chiefs Digest set to join us. It's Bob and Kayla with you today. Matt, how are you? I am doing well, Kayla. It's great to catch up with you. Absolutely. Looking forward to it here. At some point, I will stop admitting this, but for now, I guess I can't. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, I was definitely wrong about him coming out of college. He is just absolutely tremendous. He makes others around him better. He continues to elevate his own game, uh, and his toughness was certainly on display in the postseason run for the Chiefs last year. So when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, and is it possible that there's still more levels for him to achieve, and where might those things be is it more kind of uh dissecting some defenses has he seen everything at this point where do you evaluate Patrick Mahomes and how far away from the ceiling is he yeah it's a great question and you weren't alone Kayla I mean I had questions when he was drafted in his rookie year about you know what it was going to be like but um he, <laughs> he's proven any of the doubters wrong and you're right. I mean, every year it seems like how how can this guy get any better? And he seems to each season find you know that one way, and and one way is that Andy Reid just continues to challenge him to do that. And you know, last year, you certainly if you look at the numbers and you look at the way that the, the Chiefs were able to counter some of the looks they were getting, one of the ways that he really improved himself last year was a willingness to give up the deep ball and look underneath, take some of the the easy stuff that's in front of him. And, you know, and, and so now it's, he, he's added that to his repertoire. It's like, what else can he do? Um, it's going to be interesting to see what Andy challenges him with this year. You know, what and new elements. And I think one of them is certainly going to be, you know, and I think we saw a little bit of on display last year is can't elevating the players around him. Because this year with this receiver group, you know, there's, there's not a Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, there's not a, like a, a really alpha in that receiver group right now. There's some young guys who might become that, but he's got to be a kid, be a teacher. He's got to be the guy who really brings this group along. And I think that mentoring some young receivers, teaching them the offense, helping them grow, helping them be better than they are, I think that's the next you know real challenge for him in his evolution. He's going to get a chance to do that this year. Eric Bieniemy uh, is still not head coach for whatever reason, but he did leave in the free uh, in the off season uh, uh, to become the uh, Commanders' offensive coordinator. This is still Andy Reid's show, obviously. So, how does the Chiefs' daily uh, you know preparation change and game week uh, preparation change without him? <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I don't know that it really changes a lot because you're, you're right, it is an Andy Reid show, and he does have a lot of collaboration in it. I mean, it's always not only just the offensive coordinator, but usually the quarterback's coach, uh, any other senior assistants. And, you know, last year it was really a quartet that, that put the game plan together. You know, it was, uh, it was Reed, it was the enemy, it was Matt Nagy, and Dave Girardi, who's now the full-time quarterback's coach. And those, those three guys are still there. So, you know, you, you've got a lot of the core elements are still there. Interesting, a little bit of a turnover. You know, Greg Lewis went, to, who's the running backs coach, he went along uh, with, with, with EB to Washington, and Todd Pinkston came in. But, you know, that's a name. I mean, that's a guy who's been with Andy Reid before the past and knows the offense. So uh, I don't think there's a lot there. Um, but having Matt Nagy be able to step in into the offensive coordinator role and having him around and having his continuity from you know, being on the staff a year ago uh, will be a big difference. I mean, the only thing I think you're missing to me is is Eric Enemy is that motivator. He's the loud guy. He's the guy who really pushes people. And and Matt Nagy can do that too, but Matt Nagy will admit he's, he's not as loud. He's not as vocal and demonstrative as Eric Enemy. I don't know if they have that guy on the staff right now. Uh, that's the one thing I think they are going to miss is is the guy who really is a, a vocal coach leader who pushes those guys to the limit. Matt Derrick, Chiefs Digest here on KDUS AM 1060 in the extra points. Sticking with the offense here, the offensive line for Mahomes, there has been some changes from last season to this season. So how is that shaping up here? And, you know, obviously he has the ability to scramble, to make plays, to do the unthinkable, but you also would like to have a pocket for him to work in and operate. So how's that offensive line shaping up? Yeah, I mean, the strength of the line is still definitely the interior. When you've got Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, and Trey Smith on the inside, um, those are three Pro Bowl caliber players. I mean, Joe Tooney's an all-pro player. Creed Humphrey's an all-pro player. Trey Smith is probably going to be there pretty soon. I mean, that is just how good that, that interior group is. And they, But they lose both their starting tackles from a year ago. And they go out and replace them with a couple of veterans, and Donovan Smith and Dewan Taylor. And there's, you know, I tell you what, I mean, the Chiefs are optimistic that their offensive line could be better than it was a year ago. Um, even though Orlando Brown and Andrew Wiley ended up signing big contracts elsewhere, um, they feel like that, you know, that Donovan Smith and Juwan Taylor probably fit the offense a little bit better. You know, with Orlando Brown, it was a bit of trying to squeeze a square peg into a round hole. They do feel like Donovan Smith, his style, his approach, um, fits Mahomes better, fits the offensive blocking scheme better. And so, you know, even though Brown may have, you know, an edge in some areas, definitely huge, definitely speed, definitely strength, they feel like, you know, that it's not going to be a necessarily a step backward, maybe a step sideways with Donovan Smith on the left side. And with John Taylor, you know, you're talking about probably one of the better running tackles in the league right now. Chiefs are certainly paying him like that. Uh, from what we've seen in training camp in the preseason, uh, I believe there's reason to believe that, that this line could be better. Um, Patrick Mahomes behind that group was basically untouched in the preseason, and, and he had said that, you know, every year he tells us he, he kind of wants to get that one hit. That's why he likes to play in the preseason. <laughs> he likes to take a pop, and he said, you know, this year he's like, I didn't get one, so I, you know, I uh, he's still looking for that first big hit of the year. That's good if that doesn't happen until the regular season starts. That's not bad. All right, so you mentioned the, uh, you know, we're, you know, we're going to, you know, we don't think we need to get into Travis Kelsey and how great he is. You mentioned the receiving targets, though. I'm curious to see how this works. Um, basically, you know, the Chiefs were here a couple of Saturdays ago and they ran Isaiah Simmons right out of town, as it turns out. I think that was just kind of the final straw for the, straw for the Cardinals. 
Uh, Kadarius Tony, Tony, he's been off injured in his NFL career with the Giants and the Chiefs. Curious what his status is and how do you think this target share amongst these receivers, wide receivers, might work out? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because, you know, the expectation here in Kansas City is the Chiefs are probably going to keep seven receivers. Um, that's a lot. I mean, you're not all going to be yeah. active on game day. So there's going to, you're going to have to figure out the rotation a little bit. And like you said with Kadarius Tony, I mean, there's some injury concerns in this group. I mean, you, you don't expect to get 17 games out of Kadarius Tony. So, you know, who else is going to be in there? Marquez Valdez Cantling and, and Sky Moore, the second-year player, um, will certainly be the starters. Justin Watson right now has been running with the starters and, and Kadarius Tony's place. And, and Watson is not a playmaker. I mean, he is definitely a complimentary receiver. That's, that's his role. And, and if he's able to help Marquez, uh, help Sky Moore, help Travis Kelsey get open, then he's doing his job. Uh, but it's really the group behind that. I mean, they brought in Ricky James from New York, uh, who will be their, their specialist returner. But, you know, he is a guy who just seems to catch everything that goes his way. Um, how much he gets involved in the offense, I would expect him to put up less numbers than he did last year in New York. But at least he's familiar with the offense. And, you know, Mike Captain with the Giants is running similar offense to what the Chiefs are doing. Uh, he's just really had to pick up the, the terminology. But the, the real X factor is the next couple of guys. You know, you have Rasheed Rice, which the Chiefs took in the second round. Uh, it's a big target. You know, it definitely gives them something that they haven't had. And Justin Ross, you know, from Clemson, who was the guy they signed last year as an undrafted free agent uh, because of his injury history, he's healthy now, and, and he's another big guy. You know, he, he had a, a catch and a throw touchdown on Saturday in the preseason game that, you know, shows you what his upside is. So, you know, the Chiefs have some new pieces. It's going to be up to, like I said, it's really going to be up to Mahomes how he elevates those guys and helps them pick up the offense and learn, you know, is there a, 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 with Kelsey throwing in there too, is there enough balls to go around for seven receivers? I mean, it's going to be tough for everybody to, to get healthy and happy. But, you know, that's one thing that this team has is depth, even though, I, like I said, if they don't have that alpha at the receiver room, they've got a lot of guys with a lot of talent that you can see that this may be a, a growing year for them, but if it works out, this could be – beginning of a nice run for this team as a receiver group. Matt Derrick, Chiefs Digest here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra points. So Isaiah Pacheco, what's the status on him? And then for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, why has that seemingly just not worked out? Yeah, you know, with Pacheco, he had a couple of surgeries in the offseason for his shoulder and for his hand. And uh, he was in a yellow non-contact jersey up until the very last week of training camp. Um, so we just got three practices in with the pads on and got one cherry touch in the final preseason game. But all indications are they, they feel like he is ready to go. He's 100%. Um, he certainly looked like it. Uh, the indication was from the coaching staff is that they really were kind of holding him back to protect himself because Pacheco was a hard runner. Uh, they, they felt like he kind of needed that contact jersey, non-contact jersey, to just keep him from pushing himself too hard. But they feel like he's ready to go. Gonna have Drake McKinnon, so that's that's a guy who obviously is means that you know Pacheco doesn't have to be at every down back, be, you know just a, a part time back at the beginning of the season as they both been With Clyde, it's a great question, and really it comes back to the injury and the ability to stay on the field. Um, he hasn't really truly had a healthy season, even his rookie year when he did go over a thousand yards. That was you know an injury riddled season too, and, and since then it's just gotten worse. Um, when he has played, he's been pretty effective. He has not been the chess piece that the Chiefs expected, you know, as far as somebody who's going to be a real threat in the passing game. I mean, 
the comparisons to Brian Westbrook started from day one and, and just were never met. But there still seem to be relying on him. He got more touches and carries in his training camp than any other running back. So it seems like he's still part of their plan unless they're truly showcasing him uh, to, to move him on. But you know, this team has gone to running backs every single year. At some point this year, I think they're going to turn to Clyde again, and we'll see what happens when he gets the chance. But he's got to stay healthy. I mean, his availability has been his biggest detriment. Let's flip this to the defense. Chris Jones, uh, I don't think it's terribly surprising that he held out to start training camp. Are you surprised that he's still not there? Uh, also, you know, if there, let's say that he misses some time in the regular season, how might the defense try to compensate without him? Yeah, I am surprised. I, I, I felt like both these guys needed to get a deal done, you know, because, hey, Chris Jones doesn't necessarily want to play out this contract and go on to free, get the free agency next year at 31 and probably not coming off a 15-and-a-half back season like he is right now. Uh, the Chiefs, they need salary cap relief. They need it to restructure his contract. So it, it seems like it just makes too much sense to both sides. And we have heard all along that Chris Jones wanted to just be it was content with being the second-highest paid defensive tackle. Um, now, there's a wide window there between Aaron Donald and Quinn Williams with being number two. But all indications are now that late in the game, Chris wants to be paid up there right with Aaron Donald. And, and the Chiefs are reluctant to do that. So we'll see if anything gets done. There's no doubt. I mean, watching the Chiefs without Chris Jones, I mean, you see they, they struggle to get pressure on the quarterback. That's been consistent. In his career, when he's been injured or limited in any way, they struggle to get pressure with front four. So you're going to see them blitz. That's what Steve Spagnuolo does when he doesn't have all those pieces. Um, we've also seen them doing a lot of, you know, that, that Steve Spagnuolo NASCAR package where you see them just put a lot of defensive ends and pass rushers on the field, uh, maybe taking some defensive tackles off. But we've also seen Leo Chanel playing the Joker, you know, kind of a lined up as a linebacker on the edge. And they have used they used a lot of blitzing and testing in preseason and training camp with uh, rookie Chamari Connor, uh, newcomer Drew Tranquil, linebacker from the Chargers. That they're going to blitz. I mean, that's the one thing that they're going to have to do much more to compensate for for having Jones. And even if he plays at the beginning of the season, I think he's going to be on a snap count. So, if the blitz is coming here, how does that help, hurt, hinder? What is the secondary like for the Chiefs here with Trent McDuffie on one side, Legarius Sneed? Uh, you know, what's his injury status like on the other side? And then you do have Justin Reed there with your safety position. Yeah, that's the real wild card on the defensive side because the Chiefs felt like they were in pretty good yeah, situation at cornerback, but they lose Nazi Johnson, who was having a really good training camp for the season. Um, well, Jerry Sneed has not practiced since July 28th due to a swollen knee. Uh, then they lost Nick Jones, who uh, was a seventh-round draft pick, which was really looking good for them, too. And you know, and Josh Williams and Jalen Watson, who were two rookies last year who played so well, have been up and down, especially Watson. So you know, now there's a lot of question marks there. Uh, Trent McDuffie is the one guy that they feel like that they can really count on, so they are going to have questions. A lot of it is going to be definitely up to Justin Reed, who, you know, he's told us that he feels much more comfortable than he did it last year coming into the system for the first time. Jamari uh, Connor, the guy I mentioned earlier, has been a really good find for them. Um, he seems like a guy that, you know, uh, a couple of years ago when their first Super Bowl won, maybe it was Kendall Fuller to safety and kind of used him in tandem with Tyron Matthew. We're seeing him kind of do the same thing with Jamari Connor, putting him and, and Justin Reed on opposite sides of the field 
and then adjust you know where they line up so they can really kind of counter to offenses and, and where they're balancing they can you know move those guys up either one of them could be blitzing one could be dropping back coverage i mean they could disguise themselves and that's what Steve i is going to try and do i mean he's, he's you know that's that's the key to his defenses and his blitzes to try and disguise them and bring them from places that you're not expecting but there's no doubt i mean if you're going to blitz you need those corners to play well and I think that's the big question mark is if these young guys can come up the way that the, the, the five that they had as rookies last year did. You mentioned a NASCAR package. Last one for me here. Uh, George Karloftis had six sacks last year. What are they expecting for him this year? Yeah, there's, there's no doubt. I mean, nobody will put numbers on it, but I think the double-digit sacks for Karloftis, anything less, would be a disappointment. Uh, he was really strong in the second half of the season one of the best rookies in the league when it came to pressures. You mentioned the sacks. I mean, he, he was really coming into his own in the second half of the season. And they need him to pick up exactly where he was left off. Now, the question is, can he do it if he's getting more attention because Chris Jones is not out there or is not out there as much, and, and maybe he's going to get double-teamed a little bit more. We'll, we'll see. But um, there's no doubt. I mean, that you feel like there's a lot on Carlos's shoulders. Um, they do feel like he can handle it. They drafted another pass rusher in the first round this year with Felix Adeguke Uzama. Um, he has been unfortunately injured during OTAs, so um, he's a little bit behind schedule. But their hope is that he's going to be a lot like Carlos was last year, that in the second half of the season is when he'll come on. She's going to struggle. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, the Spagnuolo told me last week, he's like, it might be four weeks into the season before they figure out their defensive line rotation and what they have. But they're optimistic that in the second half of the season, it's going to come into shape. Matt, before we let you go, the win total for the Chiefs is 11.5. Do you think over or under for them this season? I mean, with Patrick Holmes as quarterback, I always bet. I would always bet the over. It's, it's going to be up to his health. But if he plays all 17 games, you're close to it. Uh, it's hard to believe that a Patrick Mahomes team is not going to beat that, uh, even with changes, even with the challenge of trying to repeat and a lot of pressure on this team. I, I think that's an easy one to bet the over, especially if Mahomes is healthy. Matt, as always, we greatly appreciate your time, and we'll certainly be checking back with you during the season. Uh, have a, have yourself a great rest of the day. Appreciate it, Kayla and Bob. Take care. Matt Derrick there, ChiefsDigest.com. Uh, so he's on the over 11 and a half wins. They're certainly, you know, they're playing a first place schedule, but some of the bigger games uh, noticed are, are at home, right? So that has to be helpful to have the home court or home field advantage at Arrowhead. That's true. They also, you know, they have a rough schedule, as you would expect. Six primetime games, you would also expect that. One game in London. Uh, so I'm um, not sure if they lose a home game or add a home game because of that, how that works out. But, uh, you know, we'll see what that, we'll, see, I'll, we'll break down the schedule eventually here at some strategical point. But they do have uh, one stretch of a, a six-week stretch where they think it's five games, five games in six weeks, which is pretty difficult, even though the construction of this could be even worse than it actually is. So maybe not as bad as it sounds. 602-260-1060. If you'd like to chime in, we'll take your calls now. Chat with you on the other side of the break. It's the Extra Point. KDUS AM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and Sports Map Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060. 
10.42 right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com. And with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports, it is the extra point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Thanks to Matt Derrick, ChiefsDigest.com, for joining us in the previous segment. Podcasted over at KDOS1060.com, as well as with the KDOS 1060 app. We will answer the win total around 11.30 today. As promised, though, 602-260-1060 is the number to chime in. So let's take those phone calls, and we'll pop on out to the KDOS hotline. Vince in Phoenix. Good morning, Bob. Hi. And Hi. uh, This is Vince. I just, uh, it was really interesting at 8 a.m. or shortly thereafter, Sunday morning, went on, I saw it on uh, X or alias Twitter, um, that uh, the announcement out of ASU about uh, um, taking uh, the season and, uh, you know, not uh, writing it off, essentially. Um, and and the, then a lot of stuff seemed to pop in about the players that uh, – uh, the seniors and the players that uh, transferred to ASU. And, of course, uh, this, this is Sunday morning, and first game is Thursday, and uh, I don't think they can get back in the transfer portal. Uh, no. It pretty much uh, left everybody uh, hanging, and, of course, I don't think. And then I read shortly thereafter, I think it was a tweet by Doug Haller, that said that uh, the coach found out about it after apparently the president and the athletic director met. Uh, so he was hanging too. Uh, um, it really, and then of course all kinds of things followed about you know the fact that they should have done this a year ago, and uh, yep. and uh, but they didn't. Uh, so it, it really kind of leaves a mess, and I think as you stated earlier, and uh, your earlier, right after your calls earlier, that uh, both the Cardinals and ASU aren't going to produce a lot of wins. Uh, uh, in your opinion, is that correct? That is correct. Um, I would be really surprised if uh, either of them had. Uh... You know, a successful season, but I don't even know what a successful season is. Let's put it this way. The last I looked, the ASU win total uh, for regular season wins was five. Uh, that might have actually come down, but I haven't looked for like two, three weeks. Uh, and then uh, the Cardinals were four and a half. I can't make a case for either of those, even think about going over the total in either of those. Does that mean that the best football team in Arizona is in Tucson? Might be, uh, you know, I assume. I mean, I don't know. Is any U any good? I don't know if they're, you know, they beat the U of A a couple of years ago and they play them again this year, right? So maybe they can beat them again. But, but they beat uh, them two years ago in Tucson, so maybe uh, they'll beat them, they'll beat them you know, a second consecutive time in Tucson. ASU seems to be taking a really hard hit nationally from all the. Uh, well, Experts what do you there. expect? I mean, their program's yeah. a mess. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I agree 100% that they should have done this before last year, but, 
they weren't going to do that while Herm was still the head coach. So they weren't going to, I guess that's the biggest reason they didn't uh, do the obvious at that point. Uh, still, I don't know if that's really going to you know, make a big difference of what the NCAA does. I assume eventually the NCAA might actually have a ruling on some sanctions, but uh, uh, I don't think that uh, usually those things don't make a tremendous amount of, you know, maybe get, get you, you know, some scholarship reductions and so forth or, you know, they, they, there's going to be scholarship reductions no matter what, I would assume. Maybe there's fewer of those. That's about the only thing I could think of that might, you know, lessen the blow a little bit. But, you know, their program is a mess, and I really don't see any momentum leaving the Pac-12 for them. I don't think they had any choice. Uh, but leaving the Pac-12 to go to the Big 12, which is a, you know, no matter you know, who's in the Big 12, a far better conference than the Pac-12 is right now. Yeah. Well, it was just, uh, it was really obvious from the start Sunday morning that uh, I guess the leaders had this plan to do it this way. And, well, uh, like I said, why is anybody surprised about this? No. I mean, the well, time, the timing sucks for the players, no question. And yeah. uh, I can't, you know, they, they guys could leave. I mean, they can't transfer to another school if I'm not, I don't have all my portal, you know, you know, lingo here or uh, protocol i think it's not till december uh, until yeah. they can like do something transfer i could be wrong about that but i think it's december it's for it's not anytime soon that's for sure yeah. uh, so it's definitely definitely not for this season certainly so you know, the players are getting hosed here but you know it wins a little you know whether it's the nfl or whether you know whether it's professional sports or collegiate sports When's the last time that the people in charge really cared about the players? I I can't remember. It, it hasn't happened in my lifetime, and you know, so, you know, sixty. How old am I? Sixty-six years old. I have to think about my age. Not a good sign. We have to think about how old you are. Well, I'm seventy-nine, and uh, God I can't bless you. you didn't have, and, and you didn't have to think about it either. So you you know how old you are. Good for you. Well. Uh, that's a good thing. And anyway, yeah. uh, uh, I guess we'll just uh, okay. have hopes that there's a that the the ballyhoo in Tucson is is going to mean a little bit more football wise. Uh, yeah, I'm not buying their program either. By the way, I just it'd be nice if they ever got somebody that could you know stop somebody and they get all these recruits that are all these great offensive players. I don't care whether it's basketball or football. Everybody they seem to recruit in those two programs is a, you know, either an offensive player in football plays offense, or is offensive, uh, you know, oriented and much better offensively if it's basketball. They're not going to win squat down there when it matters for basketball or win squat in any league if they don't find somebody that can actually stop somebody occasionally. Thanks, Vince, for the call. 602-260-1060 is the number, as always, to chime in. We'll take more phone calls today around 11.15. Bob, you had uh, posed the question about the win-loss total for ASU. On the FanDuel Sportsbook app, it's over 4.5 wins, minus 115, under 4.5 wins at minus 105. Uh, and just to kind of echo, I guess, the side of things where, you know, I have played collegiate athletics and it's always unfortunate when you have absolutely nothing to do with the outcomes or postseason bans or things that, you know, somebody else 
has messed up on, but you uh, have the repercussions for it. It's always just uh, that part really stinks as being the student athlete part of all of this, that you're the one out there putting your blood, sweat and tears into uh, the game that you're playing and somebody else impacts whether or not you even have a chance to compete for something. We can put aside whether or not we think that they're yeah. you know, going to excel this year, but just knowing that there's absolutely no chance uh, really kind of takes the wind out of the sails of the season. I agree with that, but also I don't really feel as sorry for this group of student-athletes because if I'm sure that they had to know that this was coming at some, at some point. Uh, and if you were a freshman incoming or whether you're a transfer portal person, you had to know that something like this could certainly occur and was likely going to occur. Uh, do you also think here that, uh, you know, we I think we're in agreement that this should have happened last year as opposed to this year, but that they couldn't really yeah. keep kicking the can down the road because maybe the Big 12's like, hey, you need to get this sorted out before you come and join us. Well, not that anything to do with the Big 12 last year when they should have done it, but they didn't do it last year because Herm was still the coach and, you know, Ray Anderson and Herm were adjoined at the hip at this time last year still. The PGA Tour wrapped up its uh, Tour Championship yesterday. There was a little drama. There was a little intrigue. But Victor Hovland continues to be the man. So we'll dive into that. Also, our attention turns to who's making the Ryder Cup. Uh, the U.S. is announcing the six captains picks tomorrow. So we'll dive into a little bit about that here on the final episode uh, or the final segment of Hour One on this Monday, August 28th. We'll do that next right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kent's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. Wrapping up hour number one on this Monday, August 28th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. So the PGA Tour season is in the books. Victor Hovland is the man. He held off Xander Shoffley in the final round. Uh, the scores ended up being minus 27 for Victor Hovland and minus 22 for Xander Shoffley. And that really doesn't show just how close this did get at one point in Sunday's final round. There was a key putt from Hovland to keep his lead and his momentum here. Uh, Hovland, he goes on to win the Tour Championship, and he is the winner of the FedEx Cup, so it was an 
nice $18 million payday for Victor, and he certainly uh, broke through in a big way this year. He's been knocking on the door for quite some time. He's been known as being just a really solid ball striker, and his short game has always been suspect. His putting also has had some challenges, but he continues to work really hard at it, and at some point uh, from like the PGA Championship on, his short game, something just clicked for him. Uh, His strokes gained around the greens vastly improved. He jumped into the top 20, top 25 after he had been lurking down in the the 90th range. So something clicked for Victor Hovland. He goes on, he wins the Memorial. That was his breakthrough uh, victory in kind of like a big time fashion, a big time event. Then of course he won uh, two weeks ago at the BMW Championship and then he won this week at the Tour Championship. Uh, The shadow leaderboard, Xander Shoffley, he shoots 19 under on his own ball. Uh, Vic also shot 19 under on his own ball. I had talked about how with the staggered strokes that it was certainly going to take uh, the top four guys to kind of play well below their average and some of these other guys that are coming from three under, four under, two under to really play above their average in order to make this a competitive challenge. Uh, So just taking a look at those four top guys, Vic, I said he shoots 19 under on his own ball. Rory shot seven under on his own ball. He's dealing with a back issue. Uh, so we'll have to monitor that ahead of the Ryder Cup. Scotty, he did not play well. He shot one under on his own ball. And John Rahm shot one under on his own ball. So certainly not kind of the expectations that you would have from those two players and especially Scotty Scheffler with how well he's been hitting the ball and just not able to get those putts to fall. Uh, So the Ryder Cup selections, as I mentioned, is Captain Zach Johnson has to announce the six captain selections tomorrow. So we'll find out who makes the U.S. squad. My predictions, Brooks Kepka, he makes the team. Justin Thomas off the team. We'll see how right or wrong I am tomorrow and we'll discuss about it on Wednesday. Wednesday. But hour number two of the Extra Point is coming up next right here on KDOS AM 1060.